Welcome to Halfwit History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a show where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And sometimes it's actually last week. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> We're doing another little uh, time jump. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do the time, time warp, warp again. again. <laughs> um, so this episode is for the week of August 30th through September 5th. And this week, I want to talk about another fascinating female. Ooh. Ana Maria de Jesus Ribeiro da Silva, nicknamed Anita, uh-huh. <laughs> was born on August 30th, 1821. And guess what? What? She was of Azorian Portuguese descent. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> I saw that one. Oh, cool. <laughs> Glad I picked this. So her family was fairly poor, um, working as herdsmen and fishermen in Laguna in the southern Brazilian province, now state of Santa Catarina, um, a year prior to Brazil's independence from Portugal. Okay. When Anita was 14, she was married off to Manuel Duarte Aguiar, uh, who then abandoned her to join the Imperial Army. So that was fairly short-lived. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, in 1839, Anita met a young man named Giuseppe Garibaldi, a Niçois sailor of Ligurian descent turned Italian nationalist revolutionary. To break all of that down. That's a lot, yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, Niçois is from Nice, France. Ligurian is Liguria province in northwest Italy. The capital is Genoa. Oh, okay. That, so, helps, that helps me pin down what's, what's going on here. Yeah, I read that and went, I don't comprehend <laughs> 90% of that. Um, so now the name Giuseppe Garibaldi may be familiar to some listeners, but we'll actually get to that later. It comes into play. Okay. Um, Not so familiar just, to me, so I'm excited. Just ruminate on it a little bit. <laughs> um, in 1839, Giuseppe was fighting on behalf of a separatist republic in southern Brazil, um, which was part of the Ragamuffin War, which made me laugh really That's hard. That's a great name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, having fled from Italy in 1836 after being sentenced to death for his involvement in an uprising in Piedmont, um, Gar- uh, Giuseppe Garibaldi came to uh, Brazil and then got involved in the Ragamuffin War, because I feel like it needs to be said again. <laughs> yes, Ragamuffin War. Yeah. So upon meeting the lovely Anita, Giuseppe could only whisper to her, quote, you must be mine, which apparently was good enough for her because she joined Giuseppe on his ship at the Rio Pardo and they took off. So side by side with Giuseppe, Anita fought in the battles of Imbituba and Laguna. She is also believed to have taught Giuseppe about the uh, gaucho culture of the plains of southern Brazil, Uruguay and northern Argentina. Um, so she had, like, cultural knowledge that he then put into play with, like, his later escapade. Uh, one of Giuseppe's comrades described Anita as, quote, an amalgam of two elemental forces, the strength and courage of a man and the charm and tenderness of a woman, manifested by the daring and vigor with which she had brandished her sword and the beautiful oval of her face that trimmed the softness of her extraordinary eyes. Huh. So lots of uh, praise and both personality and attractiveness apparently 
It seems like that's a very common way that people have described women in history who do cool things. They're as brave as men, but as beautiful yep. as a woman. Yep. Yeah, They have all the best <laughs> traits of men, which is totally uncommon for women. Yeah, And also, they are, in fact, a woman. I just need to restate that. <laughs> I get how, like, it was a compliment, but at the same time, it feels a little, like, like a little bit like one of those, like, backhanded compliments that's, like, nowadays, it'd be like, oh, you're strong as a man. It's like, okay, well, rude. But, like, back then, that actually was a compliment. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. Well. <laughs> nah. I mean, it was as close as in, you were going to get. In society, <laughs> yes. Continue. So, Anita proved her ingenuity and perseverance after she was separated from Giuseppe and his men during the Battle of Curitabanos and taken captive by the opposing group. In captivity, the guards told Anita that Giuseppe was dead. And despite her sorrow, it seems she wasn't quite willing to take her enemy at face value. And so she asked if she could search among the dead for his body. Um, and she was allowed to, but she never found his body. Hint, hint. Mm. He wasn't dead. Mm. <laughs> so this gave Anita hope. And when the guards weren't looking, she was able to sneak up on an untethered horse and flee the camp. Nice. So just bareback escape. So, of course, the soldiers chased her under orders to return her dead or alive. They shot and killed a horse, so Anita continued her escape on foot until she came upon the river Canoas and waded in. The soldiers thought she couldn't survive and assumed she was dead, so they just left. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, Anita spent four days wandering without food or drink in the woods until she found a group of people who were able to help her. And finally, she was able to contact the rebels and was reunited with Giuseppe in Vicaria. A few months later, their first child was born. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Did I forget to mention that she was pregnant the entire time? <laughs> yeah, you did. Pregnant bareback escape? Crazy. <laughs> I was like, this is like the coolest thing. <laughs> I'm yep. just going to drop that bomb at the end. There you go. <laughs> so they named their new son Minotti, who was born with a skull deformity, possibly due to, due, due to a blow that Anita received when she fell from her, for, her horse during her flighting escape. Oh, okay. Um, yep. <laughs> Minotti also became a freedom fighter and accompanied his father on his campaigns in Italy later. In 1841, the family moved to the Uruguayan capital of Montevideo, where Giuseppe worked as a trader and schoolmaster before taking command of the Uruguayan fleet in 1942 and raising a Italian legion for Uruguay's war against the Argentine dictator Juan Manuel de Rosas. Um, Anita even participated in Giuseppe's 1847 defense of Montevideo ag against the Argentina and Uruguayan former president Manuel Uribe. So, like, she was an active participant in all of these rebellions and fighting and stuff. She didn't just, like, sit at home with the kids. Yeah, it sounds like, like she's just bouncing from rebellion <laughs> to rebellion. Yeah, she just, like, she jumped in, like wholeheartedly um and from all accounts she was a very adept like uh fighter too so yeah every time we say rebellion and like it's associated with this person i'm just picturing the scene from rogue one where she's like i'm a rebel <laughs> i rebel <laughs> i mean who knows could be uh-huh <laughs> Um, so Anita and Giuseppe were married on March 26, 1842, and I'm assuming the husband who had ditched her had either died or they had, like, cemented a divorce at some point. Um, the couple would go on to have three more children, Rosita, uh, who lived from 1843 to 1845, Teresita, 1845 to 1903, and Riciotti, 1847 to 1924. In 
1848, Anita Giuseppe and his red-shirted legionnaires returned to Italy to join in the revolution of 1848. Did they all die? No, you. There you go. <laughs> you. The confusion <laughs> to the sly squint eyes of you. <laughs> no, they were not the red shirts from Star Trek. Okay. They weren't the cannon fodder that always die. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, probably some of them died. It was war. Yes. <clears throat> they didn't all die. So uh, they joined the revolution of 1848 where they fought against the forces of the Austrian Empire. In February of 1849, Giuseppe and Anita joined in the defense of the newly proclaimed Roman Republic, uh, which was proclaimed after the government of the Papal States was tempor- temporarily replaced by a Republican government uh, because Pope Pius IX fled. <laughs> so okay. Bailed, bailed out of Italy. Um, one of the major innovations the Republic hoped to achieve was enshrined in its constitution, freedom of religion, with Pope Pius IX and his successors retaining the right to govern the Catholic Church, um, but the idea of religious freedom was quite different from the situation under the preceding government, which allowed only Catholicism and Judaism to be practiced by the citizens of the Papal States. So this would allow you to be Protestant oh, or okay. Muslim or yep. whatever other religion you might adhere to. Yep. That wasn't Catholicism or Judaism. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So bonus fun fact. The Constitution of the Roman Republic was the first in the world to abolish capital punishment in its constitutional law. When was this? What year? 1849. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So alas, the Roman Republic would not last. And its downfall came from a rather unexpected front. France. 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 What? Newly elected President Louis Napoleon Bonaparte soon uh. proclaimed himself... Napoleon III, Mm -hmm. uh, was torn. He himself had participated in an insurrection in the Papal States against the Pope in 1831, but at this point, he was under intense pressure from the more orthodox French Catholics who had voted overwhelmingly to elect him. So, like, they were his main constituents. Yep. Though he hesitated to betray the Italian liberals, he ultimately decided to send French troops to restore the Pope. So Bonaparte sent some eight to 10,000 troops, along with about 4,000 from Spain, also another heavily Catholic country, um, with the message and a very stiff assertion that the Pope would be restored to power. Ah. Like, that was it. Just, yep. he would be restored. <clears throat> yep. So France had expected little resistance from the Italian rebels, but resist they did. Uh, Bolstered by the arrival of Giuseppe's long-delayed triumphal entry into Rome on April 27th, quickly followed by the arrival on April 29th of the Lombard Bersaglieri, who had recently driven the Austrians from the streets of Milan with a new tactic of house-to-house fighting. So, like... Urban guerrilla warfare, essentially. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Giuseppe, in command of Rome's defenses, managed to defeat a numerically far superior French army, but that only led to French reinforcements being sent to lay siege to Rome. Mm. So good job winning, but also now Rome is under siege. (laughs) Won the battle, lost the war. Yeah, actually, exactly. Yeah. Um, so despite the resistance, the French prevailed on June 29th, and on June 30th, the Roman Assembly met and debated three options. Surrender, to continue fighting in the streets pretty much until everyone was dead, or retreat from Rome to continue resistance from the Apennine Mountains. Giuseppe, having entered the chamber covered in blood, apparently from 
I'm assuming the aforementioned street fighting, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, made a speech favoring the third option, ending with, I'm going to butcher Latin, it's going to be fun. Avunque noi serrano Roma, <laughs> which in English is wherever we will go, that will be Rome. So basically, we're going to take our Roman Republic with us and set up shop somewhere else. Uh-huh. Um, the Republic and the French negotiated a truce on July 1st and 2nd, and Giuseppe withdrew from Rome with some 4,000 men, Anita, and an ambition to rouse popular rebellion against the Austrians in central Italy. The French reestablished the Holy See's temporal power, while Giuseppe and his forces, hunted by Austrian, French, Spanish, and Neapolitan, a.k.a. from Nap- Naples. Yikes. Yeah, so he had a lot of people after him. <laughs> uh, fled to the north, intending to reach Venice, where the Venetians were still resisting the Austrian siege. And this is where, in... True Kylie fashion, it gets sad. Oh, good. Yeah. Anita was both pregnant with their fifth child and sick with malaria. Uh, not a great combo. It was really not the best situation for a hasty retreat from violent pursuers. Anita died on August 4th, 1849 at 7.45 p.m. in the arms of her husband at Gisioli Farms in Mandriol near Ravana, Italy. Um, and to make matters worse, her body had to be hastily buried and was later dug up by a dog oh no yeah eee. i kind of blocked that part from my memory until i read the beginning of the sentence and went oh, oh. yeah <laughs> yeah there's a reason why we dig six feet down yeah uh so giuseppe never forgot his wife in 1860 when he rode out to tiano to hail victor emmanuel ii as king of a united italy he wore Anita's striped scarf over his gray South American poncho. Anita Garibaldi has since become a symbol of Brazilian republicanism and was recognized as a national heroine after the fall of the Brazilian Empire. There are city squares bearing her name in Brazil and a museum dedicated to her memory in Laguna. In an odd twist of fate, the Vatican unofficially requested to remove the statue of her husband from the top of the uh, Giancolo in 1929, but... Mussolini refused. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And uh, added that he would also erect a new statue of Anita on the same hill. Just like as a screw you, pretty much. <laughs> all right. Um, and just as a side note, uh, the Giancolo is also called the Janiculum or sometimes the Janiculum Hill. Um, I think it's a matter of Italian real or Americanized butchering of Italian. <laughs> oh, no. That's <laughs> probably. But uh, I saw all three used interchangeably, so I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So the erection of her statue on the Giancolo in Rome was celebrated in a three-day commemoration. The first day saw the transfer of the remains of Anita from Genoa to Rome. The second day was the internment of her remains at the base of a monument built in her memory on the Giancolo near the equestrian statue of her husband. And the third day was the official inauguration of the monument by Mussolini himself. Hmm. The statue depicts Anita mounted on a rearing horse, holding her baby son close in her left arm while brandishing a pistol in her right hand as she leads her husband's army to victory. That's a really awesome statue. <laughs> um, so there are also many other memorials to Anita, including an impressive statue in Laguna and a bust in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. And that's the life of uh, Nita Garibaldi, heroine of the Brazilian Republic. Very cool. Yeah. 
yeah, so we'll move on to our call to action. Um, we'll, we have a new website now called Halfwit Podcast. Mm-hmm. So that includes both this, Halfwit History, and our other show, Halfwits and Failed Crits, and whatever other shows <laughs> we may or may not come up with. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it also has like our contact information on there, pretty much everything that we say in mm-hmm. the call to action. So let's just keep this call to action short and sweet and say, Go to Halfwit Podcast. You'll see all of the ways to contact us. Yeah. And uh, maybe check out our other shows, too. Yeah. Um, and you can also donate on there. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, we have a Ko-Fi that you can donate through. Um, and thank you to the Fisherman for the use of our theme song, Another Day. You can find a link to their SoundCloud down in our show notes. Good yep. pointing, Kylie. Yeah, it was very dramatic. Yeah. It's a shame no one can see me. My point's on game. Wait, no. <laughs> My pointing. Wait, never mind. I'm You're done. Fine. I'm You're done. fine. <laughs> All right. Are we going on to fun facts? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. My fun fact is on August 30th of 1146, European leaders outlaw the crossbow because <laughs> they want to end war for all time. <laughs> oh, no. The superior weapon. <laughs> oh, no. The crossbow. Yeah, because that's all it takes to end war. <laughs> Crap. It was back in the 1100s, though. That's true. That was probably the most advanced weapon of the time. So I can see why you might think that might help. Yeah. I feel like China had fireworks and gunpowder at that point, though. Probably. But we did say European, remember? <laughs> true. Yeah. True. I was just trying to compare to like what other weaponry was around in the 1100s, and I'm like, I wonder if China had anything, because they probably had gunpowder by I then. I say, Europe hadn't really gotten its head out of its butt yet to really like acknowledge the fact that other countries had cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> they were still in like the denial of, we're the best. I mean, we're still in de- they're still in denial that... The whole we're the best thing. No, no, no. But. We took that over from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, I meant, like, the white people are still in denial. Oh, that's what you meant. You didn't mean yeah, Europe. Yeah. No, I did not mean Europe. I was I was trying to get to the just... What's anyway. your fun fact? <laughs> so, on September 3rd, 1752, Britain and the British Empire, including the American colonies, adopt the Gregorian calendar, losing 11 days. People rioted, thinking the government stole 11 days of their lives. Listen, if we changed our (laughs) calendar today, there would be people doing the exact same thing. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Uh-huh. Ugh. So depressing to think about. It's funny how some things will never change. Yep. Ugh. My goodness. So, yeah. So, our fun facts were more of... um, They were a little depressing. They were were funny on the surface. Yeah, funny on the surface. Sad when you think about it. <laughs> a little a little bit of a nihilistic uh, outlook on them. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, well, uh, thank you all for listening. As always, I've been your halfwit. And I'm your historian. And we hope you listen next week.